There are certain vital doctrines taught in the Word of God which have such close relation to the teaching of holiness that really holiness can't be understand or understood thoroughly unless these other doctrines are taken into consideration. So each of these related doctrines shows the reason why or reasons why an experience of holiness or of entire sanctification is a necessity for the Christian. So for the next few broadcasts, we will be dealing with why holiness is necessary. Good morning and welcome to God's Resistance. God's Resistance is local in Wilkes-Barre in the Wyoming Valley and spreading elsewhere. If you need someone to talk to or pray with and are interested in joining a small group to help you become or live as a disciple of Christ, stay tuned for contact info. My name is Eric Samborski, and I want to thank you for tuning into God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. And if you've missed the radio program, then look for the God's Resistance podcast on your favorite podcast platform, <clears throat> excuse me, and YouTube at 9 a.m. every Sunday where these are uploaded. And you're going to find other content on there as well. You can find us at godsresistance.com, our central hub. You'll find a whole lot of good stuff on there. And on Facebook, Gab, Gab TV, and YouTube at God's Resistance. That is spelled G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. Make sure to like, follow, and turn on notifications for helpful spiritual content. And you'll find us in person every Sunday at noon in the Wilkes-Barre Public Square. We, we're singing out there, praying, preaching. You'll find us out there. We would love to have you join us. You can contact us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or give us a call at 570-362-7782. Now let's listen in on today's briefing. So this morning, we're going to be talking about holiness and the divine nature, the nature of God. <clears throat> we realize that holiness is throughout the Bible in some respect. <laughs> really, that's the whole Bible. Yeah, uh, I remember hearing one guy, and I may have mentioned this just last uh, Sunday, but I'll say it again. He said, there's so much holiness in the Bible that it spilled out onto the front cover, and that's why we call it the Holy Bible. And it really is that way. Holiness is throughout the entire Bible. From the very beginning, from the fall of mankind, uh, there has ever since been the thought that we need to restore that which is lost, paradise lost. And paradise is lost in that very physical geographical sense, in the sense that Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. But paradise in, in the respect of our own heart, our soul, our person, it's been lost we are made in the image of God, but the image is marred now. All the things that were right and good have now been twisted and bent. And so we're going back to the source of holiness. Last um, time we talked about terminology of holiness, giving us definitions so that as we move forward, we have a basis to go on. And if you're hearing this and you think, I can't remember what some of these words meant, uh, scripturally speaking, go back to the first one, holiness and terminology, and you'll be able to find that. You can look that up on podcast. Um, your favorite podcast um, platform, by the way. Anyway, so um, we're talking this morning about holiness and the divine nature. God is the source of holiness. So we start first with the fact of God's holiness. The Bible declares God holy in various kinds of ways. 
It does it first as a direct declaration, simply just saying that he's holy. In Exodus 15, 11, we read, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? So that is, who is like unto thee, O Lord, all capital O Lord, among the gods, lowercase g. Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders. Now, that is obviously a rhetorical question. There are no other gods. There's only one God. Because if there were other gods, <clears throat> then then that means that one God might be more powerful than the other. And really, the idea of God in and of itself makes us say we have to find the most supreme being. So there's one God, not many gods. <clears throat> Excuse me. Moving on to Leviticus 11.44. For I am the Lord, your God. Ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and ye shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall ye defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Now that's the, we've heard that verse probably so many times, but be ye holy, for I, the Lord thy God, am holy. So he's declaring that he's holy. And then he's saying to the people, sanctify or separate yourselves. You need to be holy as well, because I am. Which leads us to believe that Holiness, in some respects, is a necessity, and we'll probably reiterate some of these points as we go along, but holiness is necessary because God is holy. And if I want to have communion with God, a relationship with God, then I myself have to be holy because holiness and wickedness can't have fellowship. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't come to God filthy and unclean with the idea that I want God to change me. Uh, obviously, that is what the gospel is. However, after we come to Christ, after we've been saved, we are made holy through the blood of Jesus Christ, through faith in him and through the power of the Holy Ghost. And so he says, he's holy, so be holy. That's a direct declaration. I'm holy, God says. Leviticus uh, 19.2, speak unto all the congregation of the children of Israel and say unto them, ye shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. I, the Lord, that is Jehovah, the self-existent eternal one, your God, am holy. God says he's holy. Psalm 71, 22. I will also praise thee with the psaltery, even thy truth, O my God. Unto thee will I sing with the harp, O thou holy one of Israel. So here we find a declaration of God being holy, and the result of that is worship. The result of that is well, the, the old English word, or I, say, I should say Anglo-Saxon, I think it's called, I can't remember how it works, but it, it ends up breaking into two parts, worth, shape. It's like we're trying to give expression to who this incredible God is through our worship. We're, he's worth shaping some kind of a form, whether it be poetry, whether it be music, whether it just be declarations of praise. He's worth it all. Why? Because he's holy. Okay, well, does that mean then we worship holy people? No, we shouldn't. The thing is, God is holy and transcendent. He's the source of all holiness. So when we really see God as he really is, we bow down and we drop and we worship him because he's altogether above and beyond anything that you and I have ever known or seen. And so God is holy. Psalm 145, 17. The Lord is righteous in all his ways. So righteousness speaks about his actions. He's righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. 
and holiness as a state of being and a character. And obviously, if my state of being and character is holy, then what I do will be holy. God is holy. What he does is holy. Everything he puts his hands to is holy. That should even be something for us to consider then as far as ourselves. If the hand of God is upon an individual and somebody really repents of their sin and is saved, God is making a person holy. What his hand touches, like the Midas touch, you know, where wherever King Midas touched something, it turned to gold. Wherever God touches something, it becomes holy. Remember with Moses in the burning bush, when Moses saw the burning bush, God said, take your shoes off your feet. Where you're standing is holy ground. Did I mean, was the ground in and of itself, did it hold a character of holiness? Or was it that because God was there, all of a sudden the ground came holy? He touched it, it became holy. That's the idea here. Isaiah 6, uh, chapter 6, verse 3. And one cried unto another and said, and these are angels and uh, seraphims and, and beings up in the heavenly realms, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So that was the declaration of angels, even though they were ones that have not been tainted with sin like you and I have. He says, holy, or they say rather in a chorus, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. I really believe when we get to heaven, if we're saved, if we've repented of our sins, we stay true to God when we get to heaven I'm not really too sure that we're going to know altogether what to say, except if these angels that aren't marred by the fall can just say, holy, 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 then what else are you and I going to say? How are we going to worship God? I believe sometimes it's almost going to be a speechlessness or just endless shouts of praise because we don't even have the words to fully frame who he is. And when we see him, it'll be amazing. It'll be something that just strikes awe into our heart. And yet it'll be the most rapturous joy you and I have ever had in our lives. Praise God. It's worth staying true to him. Isaiah 29, 23. But when he seeth his children, the work of mine hands in the midst of him, they shall sanctify my name and sanctify the Holy One of Jacob and shall fear the God of Israel. He's the Holy One of Jacob. There are all these other gods, so-called, all the nations around and God was distinct in that it says the Holy One of Jacob. None of the other gods were holy. They were capricious. They were monstrous. Some of the things that their quote-unquote gods required, which was really human imagination, so it's the wickedness of man attributing it to a piece of wood or a stone or a statue. They weren't holy. <clears throat> They're saying, sacrifice your children to me on a, on a burning, flaming idol. And the distinction here is, God is the Holy One of Jacob. He is God. Isaiah 40, 25. To whom then will ye liken me, or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? It's a rhetorical question again. The answer is there is no one that we can liken unto this God Almighty. There is only one God Almighty. And God is posing the question to Isaiah, who am I like? And it's not just to Isaiah. It's going to go through Isaiah's mouth to people. Who am I like? Who else can you make me like? The thing is, what we have had is, is such a problem where in our culture, it's like God seems altogether larger and bigger than we are. And so because of that, I can't even, 
It's like I'm trying to bring him down to where I am instead of me rising to where he is. And we have made a God in our own image repeatedly throughout society. And even to this present day, and even you, dear listener, you could be doing the very same thing. The thing is, is we have to strip out our conceptions. We think, well, this is what I'm like, so God must be like me. No, that's not the accurate way to think about it. God is as he declares himself to be. And there are similarities because we're made in his image. But as far as holiness is concerned, he is the source and fountain of all holiness. God is holy. Revelation 4.8 And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him. And they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. So again, these four beasts, these creatures with these wings and veiling their eyes because of the holiness of God. And really, when you think about it, who else can we attribute to which was and is and is to come? An eternal being. There's no one else that can do that except a holy one. Because we know everything that is unholy leads to destruction and decay. And I'm thinking about even at this moment, Uh, The unnatural sexual relations between those of the same sex, what does it ultimately lend to? The decay of the family, the decay of society, the decay of the body, the decay of the mind. Um, Sexual transmitted diseases end up taking place in all these situations. And God, what are we going to do? Well, that's why God has a certain way for things to be. And holiness streams forth from him. So doesn't, doesn't it make sense, the source of all holiness? In, in him, um, there is eternity because there is nothing to corrupt or to destroy. He is. Revelations, uh, Revelation, excuse me, 15.4. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee. For thy judgments are made manifest. Right here, it's declared so simply, for thou only art holy. There is no other God that is holy. It's him. So we have the direct declaration of God being holy, but then also God's name is holy. A few places there. Psalm 99 uh, verse 3. Let them praise thy great and terrible name, for it is holy. Now, a name in the Hebrew culture was very important. A name expressed who the person was in essence and in being and in power. And so we're saying even his name is holy. His name is so holy as, as far as the Jews were concerned that when they were tra- um, what are they, they copying scriptures from one scroll to another, they had a different pen to write the name of God because they, they felt, believed, and revered God. They believed that his name in and of itself was holy. That's why uh, there's the, the name of God, Yahweh, And if you were to look at it in Hebrew writing, they would remove all vowels. I don't know why, but for whatever reason, they felt like that held more reverence. Psalm 111.9, he sent redemption unto his people. He hath commanded his name forever. Holy and reverend is his name, or his name is to be feared with a great awe. God's name is holy. I've got two more before we go on a break here. Isaiah 57.15, for thus saith, I love this verse, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, 
to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. And then Matthew 6, 9. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In case you've just tuned in, you are listening to God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the world, and the devil. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at God's Resistance. That is G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. You can also email us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or call us at 570-362-7782. Okay, so we were talking about God being holy when it was directly declared that he was holy. We talked about God's name being holy. Now, we will look at another aspect of how God is holy in his relationship with his creatures. So, he's holy in his relationship with his creatures in his purity. Habakkuk 1.13 Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he. So he's holy in his relationship with his creatures and his purity. The writer says there that, God, you're, you are of purer eyes than to behold evil. You can't look on iniquity. You're so holy. When we know God does, he can't help but do that because he sees all things. But the way that God deals with people, it's like he can't be intimately acquainted with a person, with an individual, when they're living in wickedness and impurity. It's something against his nature. I believe that's what Habakkuk is trying to get across here. And even the tongue of the wicked. In God's dealing with it, he's pure. And, he's, and we can see that in, inside of the, the um, scriptures there, especially in the Old Testament. You find that when somebody uh, came into the presence of God, what happened was they fell down at, at, at God's feet as if they were dead. Because, oh, woe is me, Isaiah said, even the prophet. I'm undung. My lips are unclean, he says. So he in his purity, the way he deals with us, in his opposition to sin, uh, Psalm 45, 7. Uh, Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. Therefore, God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. So we live in a day right now where we think that everything's fine. Um, God loves me. That's why Jesus died on the cross, uh, because I can't really be right, perfect, holy, Um, So God just loves me as I am. And we always hear God loves the sinner and he does. But we also cannot forget the other aspect here, which is brought up, that he makes a difference. He loves righteousness and hates wickedness. He loves righteousness and hates wickedness. Hate is a very strong word. So God isn't just tolerating wickedness. He hates it. He is in opposition to it. So now when people try and say something like, oh, it's not that bad of a sin, it's just a little sin, or it's just a a white lie or some kind of thing like that, uh, that that is totally inconsistent with the way God looks at things. If God is holy, 
He has he is directly opposed to sin. He can't help but do that because it's his nature. Now, does he want us to stay in wickedness and sin? Absolutely not. That's why he sent his son. But he's not going to just gloss it over and ignore it. God loves righteousness and hates wickedness, and he makes a difference. When you go through the account of the Hebrews coming out of Egypt into Canaan land, he made hail fall on the on the Egyptians and spare his own people. He made death come on the Egyptian people and spare those that were righteous. He made a difference, and Pharaoh knew that. And God still makes a difference. He still makes a difference in this day, even though sometimes it seems like that those lines are quite blurred. Don't forget that he's going to make a great difference in the last day. There's going to be a great divide. Those that love God, that were his sheep, that followed him as shepherd, and then the goats, they are the imposters. They're going to be the ones that are sent to everlasting torment. He's going to make a difference. He's going to separate the wheat from the chaff. And so we need to know that he is in opposition to sin. So we see how holy he is by his opposition to sin. We see how holy he is in his love of all that's right. And I know we kind of dealt with that in a moment, but let's deal with that a little more positively in Psalm 11, um, verse seven. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. His countenance doth behold the upright. So on the other side, God's bending low to those that are doing righteously and that love righteousness. It says his countenance behold. It's a, it's a pleasure to him to be in those situations. And the manifest presence of God is often in the congregation of those people. And I'm not saying just a congregation in a church building, but in the congregation where any people gather together that love God, that love holiness, that love righteousness, that are living that way, that that, that is their heart and desire. He's got a smiling countenance over that, a shining radiant face over those that love righteousness because he loves righteousness. We also see God's holiness in his justice. Isaiah 45, 21, tell ye and bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together who hath declared this from ancient time. Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord and there is no God else beside me, a just God and a savior. There is none beside me. So he's saying that there is no other God beside him. He is the just God. We have a really perverted idea about justice um, in the evangelical world right now, where justice just means uh, so simply that God must punish sin. That is one part of it. But also part of justice is to exercise mercy where mercy can be uh, exercised. The, uh, the, the whole point of justice is for the greatest good of the kingdom underneath. Uh, so justice is not just for, you know, uh, for a person who does something wrong and then just meet punishment out to them. Justice also is public justice. What will, uh, what will happen if for the sight of, if, if maybe he feels like I could do something for this one person over here, but it will destroy justice everywhere else. It'll destroy confidence in the law everywhere else. So what am I supposed to do about that? So justice isn't just so shallow as God must punish sin. God is governing an earth that is filled with saints and sinners. And he is trying to govern things in such a way, even there to be just to be fair, to be holy, and to be righteous. And we see God's holiness in his justice. We see God's holiness not in his punishment of sin, but also in his offer for forgiveness and pardon and mercy through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and through repentance and faith in him. We see God's justice. We see his holiness through his justice. Also, we see God's holiness in his faithfulness. 2 Timothy 2.13. If we believe not, 
Yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself because God can't tell a lie. If he promises something, he's going to do it. So we see his holiness in his faithfulness. We see his holiness in his veracity or his, his, his state of being to always speak truth. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken and shall he not make it good? Now this kind of blends a little bit with his faithfulness. But the thing is, when God speaks, it is truth. It's inherently truthful because of his holiness. Nothing but truth can proceed from his mouth. So we see God's holiness in his truthfulness, in his veracity. The fact that God and God alone can impart holiness to men or cleanse them from sin and make them pleasing unto himself is another reason because of God's holy divine nature and our need. Why do we need holiness? It's the fact that God alone can impart holiness to men. He's the source of it and cleanse them from sin and make them pleasing to himself. So he has a long range purpose in this. Ephesians uh, chapter one, verse four, according as he hath chosen us in him, before the foundation of the world. Why? That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Does that sound like the cheap grace of our current day? It doesn't to me. It sounds like God is after people to make them holy once again and not just imputed so that we, he says we're holy when we're not, but imparted, giving holiness to us, making us new creatures, making us people that are called saints as we read inside of the scripture. And there's, some, there's something where people today you hear the word saint and they say, oh, I'm not a saint. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I find most of the time when people say that, it's because they're not living holy. Um, and there's those people that feel like they're they're not quite where God would want them to be. You know, they're not utterly Christ-like and there's a sense in which they feel unworthy. But there's something that just, you know, when oh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. God wants you to be a saint. He, he addresses people as saints in the scripture. That, it, that shouldn't be something that we shy away from. That's his, his purpose as we read here in Ephesians 1.4. That was his purpose from the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So if God wants us to be holy and it was his purpose to make us holy, then it makes all the sense in the world. God is holy and this is what he's after. Also, we read in Romans 8, 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So the people that he foreknew, that's everyone, all mankind. What, what, what purpose did he have? He predestined not some to go to heaven and some to go to hell, but he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. And Christ is holiness. Christ is God. That's God's heart. And he has a readiness to impart holiness. Philippians 2.13. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That's God's will. He's ready to do it. And then 1 Thessalonians 5.23-24. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. So God wants to do something in our hearts now to preserve us blameless all the way until the second coming of Christ. And he says, faithful is he that calleth you also will do it. God is ready and willing to do this work in our hearts. Now the God of peace in Hebrews 13, 20 uh, through 21. Now the God of peace 
that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So can't you see, dear listener, that God is holy and there's a necessity, it's necessary for us to be holy because he's holy. He's declared himself to be holy. He can't fellowship with unholiness and unrighteousness. He, he dwells in places where people are walking in righteousness and in holiness. And because of it all, he wants to impart holiness because sin ruins us. So how about you, dear listener? Is that your pursuit in a life after God is a life of holiness? Or will we continue to make excuses as to why I can't be that way when he shed his blood to make us holy? Your next step is to call 570-362-7782 or email me at gods.resistance at gmail.com. I'd love to get together with you and we could get a coffee and talk about the things of God and help you to in your journey with Christ. And I want you to tell your friends about this broadcast and about all our social media sites as well. And uh, above all, though, join the resistance, God's resistance. Special thank you to Spectacular Sound Productions for giving permission for the use of the song Heroes and Monsters, which was edited and used in part on this production. The permission was granted under Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International Creative Commons license. That license may be found at https colon forward slash forward slash creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by hyphen sa forward slash 4.0 forward slash legal code. This valley has been purchased through the blood of Jesus Christ, and it does not belong to the devil. He's got his grimy mitts all over it. And we as Christians need to fight against gross wickedness in this valley and bring it back to himself. See you in the square at noon.